0: We are all so constantly bombarded with content that even with the best storytelling techniques, it's nearly impossible to stand out. In this episode, Jana Marx, the best selling author of the book The Krugersdorp Cult Killings, talks about how you can tell a compelling story.
1: People love solving puzzles, and I think that's what true crime brings. It gives people an opportunity to think, to anticipate, to try to predict.
0: The book was turned into the gripping Showmax documentary, Devil's Dorp. She shares some of her secrets to crafting an enthralling story.
1: Yeah, I think if I need to pin it down to a process, it will be to gather as much information as possible on the topic so you don't feel you're limited to a certain story.
0: We also talk about the importance of packaging your story for different mediums and what they all contribute.
1: So I think the the different ways of storytelling, they just contribute. There's something that every medium brings to the table that the other one perhaps couldn't bring or bring as, as successfully as the specific one.
0: Please share this episode with your network, follow the podcast, and please leave us a review. It really helps us in building a community and bringing inspiring minds to share their insights. This is The Lead Creative. Welcome to the Lead Creative Podcast, where we talk to creative industry leaders, influencers, and brands. We discuss the strategies that influence brand thinking and shape industries. Thought leaders and heads of agencies let us in on some of their thinking and insights. I'm your host, Mungir Simtati. Enjoy the show and please share and subscribe. Jana, to kick things off, um, thinking back to your childhood, thinking back to your early life, what drew you to storytelling? Were you, always, were you always drawn to it or did you just fall onto journalism and storytelling later on in life?
1: Well, I have one hell of an imagination. I've had that since I was a small child. I was always playing. Um, I remember, you know, when your parents buy yourself Barbies or something, people, the children will sit and play with the Barbies, this one little one is talking, this little one is talking, now mine would be like on a set of a, St- of a Steven Spielberg movie, you know, it's, it's this whole thing, because I've been reading since I was very small, so they will be climbing the pyramids, they will be on some kind of adventure, so storytelling has just always been my thing, I love stories, I love reading, love books, um, I wish I had more time to read Fortunately, that's a bit of a luxury when you're an adult. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. But it's been something. It's something that's been with me my my whole life. And even you know the, all the the um, comprehensive tests and reading and literature on, in school. It, I was the one that would be writing that essay of four pages, and no one really wants to read.
0: Right. Right. So, so you are always on a storytelling sort of journalism trajectory from childhood.
1: Yeah, and at some point there was, I mean, uh, we had the opportunity to be part of a school newspaper when I was still in primary school. I was very lucky that the Folk's that daily newspaper in the Free State, North Cape, that they, they had a team that went out to schools and just tried to oh, to create interest for the news, for journalism. And we had this school newspaper, like competitions, have little small teams and you had to make uh, make this new p- this newspaper on that day, on that Saturday or whatever. And they will have like a real photographer there talking about pictures, a real editor talking about, you know, editorial stuff. And it was just this very romantic thing for me.
0: Now, fast forward to recent times, uh, when telling a story that's as complex and as painful as your book titled The Kruger's Cult-, Cult Killings and inside Cecilia's reign of terror, right? So how do you balance telling a compelling story creatively while maintaining a journalistic lens of telling this painful, difficult story?
1: I don't think it has to be either or. I think journalism, we often think of journalism as only a short news article news report, perhaps, where as it, I mean, it's, such, it's, it's such a big umbrella term. Journalism equals compelling storytelling. So, yeah, I don't think it's the, either the one or the other. I just think um, you write more detail. It is what it is. So, you, in journalism, you obviously need to keep people's attention, um, even if it, you write a very short uh, report. And that's the same, so you you use the same techniques when you write the longer book. You just get to add more details, which is quite a luxury when you're used to newspapers. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, I think often, or a common criticism that's levelled against true crime specifically is that you become desensitised. And I also don't think that that's it. I mean, as I've just told you um, it's compelling storytelling, whether it's a news report or a, um, or a book. And you need to write the emotions into that story. It is what it is, even if you only write 300 words.
0: Now, with this story, particularly, uh, while maintaining, you know, the this idea of compelling storytelling and telling a story that is as difficult as as this became, and we when we unpack that a little bit, you mentioned this idea of being desensitized, and I don't necessarily think it's desensitization more than I think it's keeping it, keeping the creative and compelling part in a story that is that is a true crime and true life story how do you how do you then integrate the art of storytelling in that when you're not writing you know a thousand word piece you have to write a whole book and you still have to make it creatively compelling while telling a true life and true crime story
1: i think the most important thing for me was to really do thorough research because I felt kind of responsibility to learn as much as I can, not only to be able to write a proper book, but also to be able to or at least try to get a sense of the the key role players, their emotions. It doesn't feel right to just to just you know touch the tip of the iceberg. When I write, like writing over it, I wanted to feel what people felt or at least try. I mean, obviously, I can't even imagine to um, to say that. I, I, can't, I can't say that I, I know exactly what they went through, not at all. But I, it was really important for me to walk the journey with them, to let them cry on my shoulder, to look at the dockets, to look at very, very, very brutal murder scenes that that I knew I couldn't really, I I can't showcase this to the world. It's just too painful. It's just too, it will be disrespectful towards the victims and the families. But for me, I wanted to, I wanted to get all of that. So I can stand back and say, okay, this is what I have. These are raw emotions, secondary, but raw emotions. Now I can go into the story and now I'll be able to tell the story in what I feel a truthful way.
0: How did you go about gathering the extensive research that was required for the book, which was then turned into Devil's Dot, the documentary? What role did the families as well as law enforcement play in helping you to shape the narrative?
1: So both the book and the documentary started with a court case that I uh, that I'd attended at the time. But I did realize while sitting there after reading the indictment, I mean, in a court case, the state will use only what's necessary for that specific case. Just because, I mean, the ca- the case is so voluminous; it's 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 a huge, difficult case. It's not only one killer, one victim. This like a it's a whole group of killers, a whole group of victims. The story storylines are so intricate, and I just realized what I'm what I'm reading in indictment. Although it already blew my mind, that was literally just the frame of my story. So I took that. And I started to write from that, because um, I was in court every single day. So I wrote from the court recordings, from, um, from my notes, because I was taking notes like the whole time. And then obviously you ask questions. You, again, you step back and you say, okay, if I'm reading this, what, what do I still want to know? Oh, there's a gap. There I need something more. Oh, I want, to, I want this question answered. I don't ha- know where we got ha- or how we got here from the previous point. So then you, you start with your interviews and you approach the people and everyone, your family members, they were, actually, they were an absolute crucial part of this. Also because it was very, very important to me um, in the book and especially in a documentary that, that the whole thing is victim-based, victim-focused. This is not just Cecilia's story. This is a story of the victims and not only the victims, but the victims' families who are victims... As
0: well, going into the, the court case because you mentioned that and it's it's very interesting because journalists go into you know court cases a lot like they spend a lot of their time in courts and on crime scenes and on various stories going in did you realize how big this story would be did you realize how big the case might end up being
1: not at all i I was covering court at that time. So I was literally just coming out of a, um, a very, very hectic case. It was a child abuse case, actually a child murder case because of the abuse. It was extremely emotional. I was tired. It was, it was hectic. It was harrowing evidence. And I just thought, you know what? Yeah, okay. Um, nothing can come, come close to that one. That was bad. And yeah. then Cecilia said, hold my beer. I mean, <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> No, but even when I walked into court that day, because I was sitting in court every single day, whether it was this case or this case, my job was to go to court to cover cases, civil court, criminal court, um, constitutional court, wherever. So I got the indictment, as I usually would do before I start a new case, and I would read through it, and I I read, because obviously you know the details, you know at some point this case was being tried in a lower court, it's been transferred to the high courts now where I work, so you have the gist of the story, you followed the news, but reading that indictment was already like it was an eye-opener. I realized this is not what I'm used to. This is not what I've been doing <laughs> for the few, past few months or years. So I went, I went to court that day. It was another normal court day, knowing that this is quite interesting, but it was only while I was sitting there looking at these people and when the state started with their case, that I realized, oh my word, and it absolutely blew my mind.
0: Now, you mentioned that, of course, this was, you know, that you almost stumbled upon this. And I want to um, sort of unpack that idea of, of when telling a story, sort of being willing to let the unexpected become the story or let that 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 those instances of what you don't anticipate actually becoming a big story how important is that in storytelling this idea of of just um i guess the unexpected taking you know taking center stage
1: yeah i don't think um now maybe two things in a court case, obviously, the court case has a beginning and an end. Um, you know the procedure, you read the indictment, people, uh, people give testimony, and you know at some point someone's going to be found guilty or not. So there's sort of a timeline, there's sort of a structure. But I think what happened with, for example, Devil's Dorp um, they the story. Told, him, t- told itself and I would say if, if it's not a court case I think a court case will lead you and that's what I that's why I use the court records as my frame so this is a basic timeline but what is the story giving me that I'm I don't know yet and then the story starts telling itself and you need to let that story tell itself until all the words it wanted to use has been used.
0: If you're enjoying The Lead Creative, please share this episode with your network and hit follow or subscribe. Enjoy the show can you can you can you can you explain what you mean by that how what do you mean let the story tell itself you've told a lot of stories you've written a lot of stories you've written a book you which was of course which became devils dorp and that became a story in itself right what do you mean when you say let the story tell itself because i'm a marketer and a lot of creative people are given stories by brands to kind of tell and Yet you talk about let the story tell itself. Can you explain what you mean by that? What what that process entails?
1: It's difficult to explain it in terms of a process because I don't really feel as if it's a process. I will be looking at the content and something will just like pops up. Something will just pop up or just make sense. I realize, but this is an interesting angle that I haven't explored yet. This is an interesting point to look deeper into. So I'm not sure if it's really a process. It's me getting as much content as possible. Um, I've just come out of, of a meeting uh, pre-production for a, for a documentary, and I told the guy, send me everything. Send me everything. If you even think that I might not be interested, send it in anyway. <laughs> I will decide if I'm inter- interested or not. Just be, the more you give me, the more I have to work with. And suddenly, if you don't decide what I can get to work with, and if I don't decide what I can, what I have to work with, if I just get everything, the, I mean, I think there are so many options then, options that I would have ne- never would have considered if I didn't have all the information to my disposal. And the same if you talk, if you do interviews with um, some of the family members, Of victims of a case. There's certain things that you know they will say, but what are the things they're not saying? Maybe ask about their life. It has nothing to do with the court case, but in telling, sharing their, their life, their house set up, or living set up, or whatever, you get a sense of the person you need to write about by talking to people close to that person. So, yeah, I think if I need to pin it down to a process, it will be to gather as much information as possible on the topic so you don't feel you're limited to a certain story.
0: So in a sense, the, the devil is in the detail and it's in those details that, that the story jumps out at you and you take a different, or even if it's the same direction, but it takes shape in that form.
1: Absolutely. And it can be one big story threat with a, with a lot of small little threats inside. I think that's what makes it interesting. It's not just A to Z, beginning to end story. Every story has little stories inside. It can be a story in its own right if you really want to develop that part.
0: Yeah. I imagine that while writing the book and creating the documentary that you got immersed in this dark world while you were writing which exposes the other less desirable side of humanity how did you step out of it and find balance um in you know in humanity and the good of humanity while you are immersed in such a dark story and almost you know balance this with your mental and emotional state How, how did you do it
1: yeah it was very difficult. It's really difficult, especially if you take my approach to really engaging in the emotions of the story so you can try to comprehend what happened there um so I let myself experience everything and I think i can yeah i can I can say that i i think I had a bit of a secondary trauma at some stage. I would read through a core docket i mean the pictures and everything we showed on devil's door i mean that's after I went through the process to look what can be showed or not. I, I mean, otherwise, you wouldn't have been able to lo- to watch it. It's just too,
0: too brutal. So you, so you almost had to relive it f- while doing the documentary when you had already done so while writing the book.
1: Absolutely. Relive it, live with the families, live through it with the families. For them, it's, again, every single interview is extremely emotional, just because they have to relive it again. Luckily, I know myself very well, and I know when I'm tired, and I'm emotionally tired, not, li- not necessarily sleeping tired. And I took breaks. So I would read a core docket, and I will take a break from the book for a week plus, if I needed to, just to work through the details in my mind, to process it, perhaps, and then to come back and read and, and write down what I've learned from there and what I felt, what I've experienced, what, how I see that happened. Um, so I did that. And then also I think the big thing is I had people around me that knows me very well, and they would tell me, listen, we can see you are tired. Um, at that stage I was engaged, married to him now, and he would say, you know what, let's just take this weekend off. Don't work now. I can see you're tired. So I think I, I had to learn to rely on those people as well. That knows me well enough to say, "Mm -mm, you have to take a break now. Because it was hard. I'm not going to say it wasn't hard. It was extremely hard.
0: When you sort of, you know, get feedback from readers of the book and who then went on to watch the documentary, how how differently do they receive the story? Or how does the story crystallize for them according to what you hear or see between the two?
1: So interestingly enough, um, obviously book sales picked up after the documentary as, as if many people first watched a documentary and then said, okay, but I need more. I still have answers. And then the book was there to give more answers because it's a more detailed version. Obviously, uh, we talk about content. A book will be the detail. And you can't put all the detail in a TV screen it just doesn't make sense. So there's a different way of writing that story, a different way of planning a, a story like that. And I feel that they complemented one another. There are certain narratives that wasn't in the book. But there was a lot there were a lot of narratives that the book covered much thoroughly than the documentary. So I think yeah, I think the two really added value to one another. And that, that was the feedback I received
0: there's also this narrative now right off of that. People don't read as much books as they did before. We would rather wait for the movie or the documentary. And then the, the, so take those two plus the fact that digital also now does its, does its thing. And, you know, is more attractive to people. How did you find that these three aspects contributed to each other in bringing the story to life?
1: Well, I see that it was, and I think it's touching on the one question where do people choose either or? And I think it's important to realize that even whatever you are seeing on the screen started at some point as a written script, as notes, depending on what the um, genre is. So, I don't think it's that yeah, people don't want to read because, in effect, they're actually, they're actually when they're watching your stuff, actually watching what, you, what you've read. <laughs> but I do know that people don't really yeah, sit down yeah, and yeah. read a book anymore. And I think that's where the podcast, for example, came in very helpful. It was companion cop podcast to the documentary. Um, there's been several true crime podcasts discussing the case uh, that's was released afterwards or even prior to the documentary. So I think the the different ways of storytelling, they just contribute. There's something that every medium brings to the table that the other one perhaps couldn't bring or bring as, as successfully as the specific one.
0: Now, I'm glad you mentioned podcasts because this now is very largely the era of sort of true crime when you think about podcasts and some of the most popular ones what do you think it is about I guess the past couple of years that has brought true crime so much to our fore and made it so popular
1: yo I think there are a few things I think one of it people love to solve puzzles I mean we love that it's something you know challenges you and if you've played that game, Cluedo or whatever, with the clues, and you need to figure out who committed the murder and sort of board game, um, people love solving puzzles. And I think that's what true crime brings. It gives people an opportunity to think, to anticipate, to try to predict um, in a very macabre way. It's almost fun and relaxing in that sense. But then if you Look a bit deeper. I also think it's about seeing justice happen. I think especially in South Africa, where, I mean, I don't think there's one single person that haven't had crime happen to them directly or someone close to them. I mean, it's, it's the world we live in. And ugh, most of the people get away with stuff. Here you see this case, it plays out, someone goes to jail. There's a sort of satisfaction in there to see, okay, you know what, someone did great police work, um, the courts were great, that person is now behind bars. So I, I think, yeah, in South Africa, I think that's also important. And just the thing of storytelling, like you've said, I think you are sitting there in your little, maybe your little um, leafy sub- suburb, you don't know that world, it's strange, it's weird, It's, it's new, you want to learn more about that world that you know nothing of. So that's the fascination part of it, I I presume.
0: Now, you've mentioned a number of things there, like people like solving puzzles, which is absolutely true, and that crime affects us all in different ways, or crime in some way or another has affected um, every single one of us, you know, if you live in the kind of world that you live in. So those are, I guess, some of the aspects. What else? do you think marketers and advertisers can borrow from the storytelling style of true crime and use in everyday communication with customers because while you are you know while you are a journalist and a writer and a storyteller you are also a customer and you kind of see some ways in which perhaps stories aren't told to you as a potential customer in ways that you tell stories to your reader
1: i think it's important a phrase that I would ask myself before I start to write everything, anything. So what? Why should I care? Why should my reader care? Why should anyone care? Why would anyone want to read this? What do they, what, what do I think they need to get from this? So I think that so what factor is very important. Um, it seems like a true crime story you know, it's something out there happening far away from you. You don't have any interest. You don't have any ties to that. It's, but it's actually not. It's subconsciously teaching you these things are real. It's happening around us. It's happening to people like us, um, and you, viewer. You need to take note of these things. Not become paranoid or something. You're gonna, otherwise, I mean, living in South Africa, we're going to die. I think <laughs> from paranoia. <laughs> but just take note and so it's, i think it's partly educational as well
0: so 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 i guess i think to your point that sometimes the 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 marketing and marketing and advertising stories miss that factor that so what so why should i care about your brand or your messaging or why does it stand out to me the individual um, so you've done I mean you've, I've, I've mentioned the writing quite a bit. You've also done um, TV production, you've also um, so you've created stories in various forms in many ways. Looking back, um, how has the process of writing this book and telling the story teach you, if anything new, about storytelling and about true crime reporting?
1: I think um, the book was the story over a couple of years. It wanted to tell the story of not only from the time the killing started to happen, but what 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 led to that. What was the run-up to the development of electus pedaeus, overcomers through Christ. So it actually spans over a couple of years. And I think it helped. I learned a lot about chronology. Chrono- chronology. <laughs> and, you know, just being able to use this volumes and volumes of information and put it into a timeline because that was the purpose of the book. Tell the story and try to answer most of the questions that haven't been answered in court. From a TV, t- from a TV perspective, things look a bit differently. You can't just, you, you start from beginning to end, but that's not the way it was necessarily created. You do like I've said earlier, little stories. We call it story arcs. You build up to a certain point, then you start a new little narrative. You build up to another point again. So you create little stories within little stories. And I think that's much more, uh, you, more prevalent in a documentary or in a movie than it would be in a book. In a book, it will be more linear, from beginning to end.
0: And having, having written. You know, journalistically, as well as now, for the documentary in the era of social media and digital, how differently do you tell stories? Has it changed how you tell stories? Should it be different because because while we are reading the book, we are we are you know taking pictures of excerpts and sending them to our friends and sharing them on whatsapp. Does it change the way you tell stories and and how you, i suppose, describe and unpack your, your story as you tell it?
1: I think the way of the, or the days of just telling a story and hoping people will read it, those days have come and gone. People, are, people drown in stories every single day and you have to deliver a product that they want to choose in that bulk of what is available to them. Even more so if it's something they need to pay for. So I think storytelling has become much more compelling and using different media as well to, to enrich it, just to, to make it a fuller story. Because some people want to listen to a podcast, some people want to watch the TV, someone wants to read a social media post about it. So I think it's packaging stories in different ways for people, knowing who your market is, knowing who you are writing for and packaging the story exactly how they need to receive it. Um, yeah, and I, like I said, I just think compelling storytelling is so important because you're competing with so many people. We, um, For example, if you, re- if you write for the media, a celebrity will nowadays break their own news. They don't need you to break a story. They will just post on it and it will get much more hits than the story that you wrote will get. So you really need to bring something to the table that would let people go. And after they read this, they post, go read yours, go listen to yours, go watch whatever you, you gave them.
0: If you're enjoying The Lead Creative, please share this episode with your network and hit follow or subscribe. Enjoy the show. So what, what is that X factor? What is that X factor that makes a story compelling? Because, because, again, if if I compare that to, say, marketing or advertising, to stand out, you probably need to tell a more compelling story, tell your story more compellingly, use a different medium, um, appeal to an insight, all of these kinds of things that you need to kind of unpack and find. How do you then tell a true life, true crime personal story in a way that competes with everything else that say on social media without necessarily, without necessarily competing for it?
1: I think one of the things of true crime is the story, a lot of the story lies in the facts already. I think perhaps Devil's Door is a good example for it being so bizarre. Um, there's not a lot that you actually have to add to make it a story that people want to, wants to read. So I think there's a relatable factor, there's a the fascination factor, and I think it's up to you to give them then the proper product that satisfies that need. It will, again, speak, have to speak to people in a certain context. Um, what do you want your reader to take from this? Do I want to educate? Do I want to make him aware? And then why should they care? Factor. I think that is the most, most important thing. And they, so you meet them, you, you meet the reader where they are in a specific context, in a specific country. If I wrote my book to a U.S. audience, it would, have been, it would have looked perhaps much differently than South African audience. Or certain things that I can tell and can say to South Africans because we know how it's like. We experience things differently.
0: Devil's Dorp was, was, was received very well in South Africa. And we keep talking about it being a South African story. Um, how well was it received internationally? And how was it, you know, what were some of the stories that came up when people saw this?
1: I had people phoning or messaging me on Facebook or whatever from New Zealand, from the US, from the UK. So the definitely people that picked up up on that and I think it triggered an interest in South African crime Um, we are a mecca of crime stories unfortunately and fortunately fortunately for the industry but unfortunately for our country Um, I've had a lot of talks since the release of Devil's Door from people that said wow I'm going to come to South Africa because I need to see what content you have here I've even hosted people coming to the country to just check out what what can they what can they produce that's su- South African story. And one thing that's actually nice, there's something about understanding that you can't just come from a from another country into South Africa and think you will be able to produce a true crime story that's authentic to South Africa. So you get more of the collaborations as well. You will get a Company production company situated in South Africa that will work along, and so that's partly what I also do. Um, I translate South Africa
0: <laughs> to the world
1: <laughs> to countries that want to know more about us.
0: And and since the documentary wasn't available in other countries or other parts of the world, how was the book received in in other parts of the world? What I'm trying to establish is, you know, a lot of the time we think our stories are interesting fascinating sad and harrowing only to us in south africa whereas when you put out something like the book that you have put out when you put out a story then you start realizing similar how similar we are to the rest of the world but also how much the rest of the world wants to hear our stories and read and find out about them what did you find that to be the case
1: I think it's difficult to use the Krugersdorp killing story as an example just because it was so bizarre. It is bizarre in any context and in any country. Um, so the feedback I received was, I'm mind blown that this actually happened there. Um, and I think that's because of the nature of the story. Um, the story in itself is, I mean, it's crazy. You can't make that shit up. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I think, and it was uh, a fascinating and interesting story. And I think um, from that, I take away the fact that, yes, you need to you need to understand why people should care, or at least put that in there. People like uh, unpacking puzzles, or at least being able to piece things together themselves. And that sometimes... Um, as you you've alluded to it, but but that's what I take away is that sometimes life is definitely a lot more stranger than fiction. Like the things that happen in real life, um, are much stranger than fiction. Um, what projects are you currently working on that people can look forward to?
1: So I am working on um, let's like say a couple of documentaries. It's about three, uh, very exciting. Also, the other one is also true crime. The other one is still in, you know, planning process. Actually, two are still in planning processes, but very, very exciting. Different different stories, but also I, I like the, you know, true life. The, I like the nonfiction. I really like the nonfiction stories, so that's where I'm involved. And it will be with research and development, with journalism, um, but I love telling the story, especially for television, where I have so many ways of telling it—not only text or script—but you have you have script, you have voice, you have visuals, everything coming together just to make this to tell the perfect story.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you so much uh, for making the time, Yana. Where can people get a hold of you?
1: People can follow me on social media if they like. <laughs> um, so I. Yeah, oh, goodness. That's another thing I wish I had more time for, hey? But on Facebook, I have a page. It's Jana Marks, journalist. Um, I have, yeah, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. So from time to time, I do share what I'm up to.
0: <laughs> awesome. That's great. And we'll certainly follow it. Uh, thank you so much for making the time, Jana. It was amazing.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you for listening to The Lead Creative. Did you get one insight that's worth sharing from this episode? Please share it with your network or your friends. Pop me some of your ideas and innovative finds on Twitter, on at Mongezi. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find me on mongezi.com.